What is up, everybody out there in podcast land? Welcome to the latest episode of the Fortress of Rock. I am the maestro, Kevin Crane, taping here on April the 8th of 2022. Going to have some fun stuff for you, as always. Lots of reviews, lots of moments in rock history, anniversaries, birthdays to look at in the coming segments. But first and foremost, as always, we start with news of the world. Our tribute to Freddie Mercury and Queen, of course, as we look at the past week in rock music, the headlines, the news articles, the events that you and I care about. First and foremost, I will say I am a lucky man sometimes. Other times, not so much. Gee, shocking. (laughs) That's called life, right? We talked about the tragic passing of Taylor Hawkins last week. And of course, that uh, selfishly ruined my chances to see the Foo Fighters yet again. Who knows when or if they'll be back in what incarnation will it be the Foo Fighters? Will it be a different band with Dave Grohl shepherding the rock flock? But when I say I got lucky with everything that's happened over the past two years with COVID, it's been hit or miss when it comes to concerts. I've got concert shows, tickets, tours coming up here this summer that I have been holding on to. Yes, paper tickets. Billy Joel, the Doobie Brothers, that I have had for two to three years. I can't wait to see the look on the faces of the people scanning tickets when instead of pulling out my smartphone I pull out an actual paper ticket with a date on it of 2020 that should be fun but again I'm just glad that the Doobie Brothers and Billy Joel are keeping their commitments at least to this point in time. Foo Fighters were one that originally I got hosed on. And then of course, again, with the the unbelievable sadness of Taylor Hawkins passing for a second time, I will miss out again. And I'm not trying to be a selfish jerk. But this is kind of the the concert world we have come to deal with, what we've been accustomed to over the last two years. Anybody like me who buys 10, 11, 12 tickets a year to go see shows, this is what we have been, we've, we've grown accustomed to this. This is what we have been subjected to over the last two plus years now. 
we talked about Judas Priest last year. I got lucky enough to go see Judas Priest for the first time ever last September. Then, of course, we all know about what happened with Richie Faulkner and his ruptured aorta, unbelievably. I don't know how somebody survives a ruptured aorta, but Richie Faulkner did. Thank God he did. So Judas Priest are getting things back together again, out on the road again. More people seem to be concerned about the fact they were going to pare down to a a four-man group instead of keeping it with the five, the original five-man setup that Judas Priest has always pretty much gone with. They were going to go single guitar instead of double guitars. How about you worry about the guy who whose heart basically burst? But then this year, just when you think everything's going to kind of, sort of, try to get back to normal, what happens? Greta Van Fleet, this is where luck comes in again. Got to see them on that opening night show of the Dreams and Gold Tour in Kalamazoo. Next thing you know, they're getting hit with pneumonia. Canceling weeks worth of shows. And now, Mammoth WVH, my new favorite band. Got to see them a couple weeks ago. Thank goodness I did, because now they've been hit again with COVID right after the break they took, so Wolfie could go to the Grammys, and we'll talk about that in a minute. They've had to cancel the last six appearances they had scheduled with Dirty Honey on the Young Guns tour. because of an outbreak of COVID in their camp. And this is coming after the original date I was supposed to see them on back in January was postponed until just a few weeks ago in March. So again, I'm going to say in terms of a concert goer, I'm lucky. I have fought through all the cancellations. I have fought through all the postponements, the delays, and have gotten to see most of the bands that I wanted to when I wanted to see them. And I'm not, again, trying to be selfish. First and foremost, what we want is everybody to be healthy and safe. I'm just looking at it as more often than not on the rock and roll roulette wheel here that COVID has created, I have been more lucky than not. 
got Bon Jovi coming up in a week and a half. And we'll have that, of course, that review for you here on the Fortress of Rock. That tour has begun. The North America tour is basically all of April for Bon Jovi. I will see them in Indianapolis here coming up. Like I said, in about a week and a half. Other tours have been impacted by health issues. This one not COVID related, but this is sad because this this involves a very young man. And the Eagles have been trying to piece together what they could of the remnants, the fragments of their former lineup. Of course, Glenn Fry died tragically years ago. He wasn't that old. I, I You want to argue with the fact I called it a tragic death, that's fine. We'll get to more on that later on, too, in terms of tragic death. But I remember when I had tickets to see the Eagles right when they got back together back in the early 90s. And the show I was supposed to go see them at got canceled because Glenn Fry had stomach issues. I believe he had to have emergency surgery. And I got a refund on those tickets. I know blasphemy, but bear with me. Um, the problem I've always had with the Eagles, I've said this on this podcast before, is that if you really care about your fans, you will do anything you can in some way, shape, or form, even if it's in the nosebleed seats, to put some tickets out there, a couple thousand tickets out there, that fans can afford. And the Eagles have never done that ever since they got back together after hell freezes over. So initially, like I said, way back in the early 90s, I actually paid roughly $100 for lawn seats at an outdoor venue to see them. And then the whole issue with Glenn Fry popped up I decided, just give me my money back. Who knows, with the Eagles, who knew at that point if they were actually going to be able to stay together, let alone tour together again. But of course, for them, the money's too good. Part of me always will blame Don Henley. Somehow I think he's the one. He's the driving force behind, let's screw the fans over as much as we can, make as much money as we possibly can, because God damn it, we're the Eagles. That's fine. The Rolling Stones do the same thing. But I'm sorry, even though I've never paid money to see the Rolling Stones, they're the Rolling freaking Stones, okay? I'm sorry, I have never understood how the Eagles think they're even close remotely to the Beatles, the Stones. I saw the Who, granted without Entwistle, 
without Keith Moon, RIP to both of them. That was about five years ago, four or five years ago. I paid roughly as much for good seats, covered regular seats, to see the who that I would have paid back in 1991, 92, whenever it was for the Eagles, for lawn seats. Think about that. Think about that. Almost a 16, 17-year difference. And the Eagles were so arrogant back then, they thought they could charge as much as the who have been charging for decent seats within the past five years. The Eagles think they're better than the who. They're more important than the who. That's how I read it. Or I can look at it and say, hey, maybe Daltrey and Townsend still get it and are still trying to keep it so that their true fans can come and see them at affordable prices. I know, I'm off on a tangent to what I do. I will never, ever, ever appreciate the Eagles and how they price out a lot of their diehard fans. Aren't they from California? Hmm. Maybe that'll tell you something. Coming all the way back around to the point I initially was trying to make. The Eagles have been trying to keep going. Of course, I'm sure in their eyes, Don Henley's eyes, most specifically, make money. They have had Vince Gill join their lineup, noted country star. And then, of course, after Glenn Fry passed away, they brought in Deacon Fry, his son. Story goes, of course, that Don Henley heard him sing. I believe it was Peaceful, Easy Feeling at the memorial ceremony for, for Glenn Fry when he died. And, of course, Don Henley, being such a caring soul, otherwise known as I see dollar signs, cha-ching, cha-ching, said, hey, let's bring in Deacon Fry and have him take his dad's place in the Eagles. Again, if it was any other person, I'd probably take it on face value and say, yeah, it's a sweet gesture. It's a wonderful gesture. With Don Henley, again, I think it's all about him being able to grow his bank account. And now we're starting to see, possibly, maybe, that Deacon Fry was not ready for this. The kid is too young to be having health issues. I'm wondering if stress is involved. He had to bow out here in 2022 of a lot of the dates on the Hotel California tour. And now, unfortunately, he's decided to drop out of the Eagles altogether. And of course, all we're hearing are kind words 
praises, platitudes. And the kid deserves every single word, every single bit of adulation in his mid-20s to have gone through this, his father's death, and then replacing him in one of the greatest American bands of all time. Yeah, Don, eat that up. And now he has to drop out. We still don't know what the health issues were that caused him initially to bow out of the tour in 2022 to begin with, but now he's out completely. I just got to believe it's something to do with the pressure and the stress of taking over for his father in one of the greatest bands in history. That's a lot to stomach. That is a lot to take on for a young man. So, of course, as much vitriol as I spew about Don Henley, the greedy bastard, on the flip side, I will tell you I wish nothing but the best for Deacon Fry, and I hope he finds peace and solitude, finds his way, finds his path in life. It doesn't have to be with the Eagles. Godspeed to you, kiddo. Now, speaking of other children of rock and roll legends, we talked earlier about Mammoth WVH and how they had to drop out of the last portion of their Young Guns tour with Dirty Honey. I am biased. Everybody knows that. If you haven't figured that out by now, If it's Van Halen, you know I'm all in. I was a little bit disappointed. I was a little bit stunned at the Grammys that once again, the panel, the group that votes on the Grammys, Just admit you don't care about rock and roll anymore. Just admit it. You barely care about country music. It's all pop and rap and hip-hop. Now, Foo Fighters fans are going to get mad with me, and I am one of you. I love the Foo Fighters, but of course my allegiance, as I just said, will always be with the mighty VH. Medicine at Midnight is not even close to the best album the Foo Fighters have put out. If anything, it's probably one of their two or three worst. Distance was a heartfelt, poignant song mourning the death of one of the greatest rock and roll icons of all time, written performed by his son, yet the Grammy crowd could not see fit 
to give an award to distance. Again, it was Foo Fighters, Foo Fighters, Foo Fighters. The three rock categories that are left in the Grammys, rock performance, rock song, rock album, all went to the Foo Fighters. I don't know when voting cut off. Was this some kind of a a late second honoring of Taylor Hawkins? I've got to believe voting had pretty much wrapped up before Taylor Hawkins passed away. I could be wrong. I've been wrong before. It's rare. But it happens, especially when it comes to music. But that being said, it seems like the Foo Fighters, even before the passing of Taylor Hawkins, have always been their easy fallback. If the Foo Fighters put out new music, give them the Grammy. How about you expand your horizons a little tiny bit? As great as the Foo Fighters are, they are not the be-all, end-all. There are other acts out there, other bands out there, other performers out there who are worthy of recognition. Stop making it all about to be a, well, rock and roll sucks, so we'll just be lazy and give every award we can, when we can, to Dave Grohl and the Foo Fighters. That's not the answer. That's not the solution. That's not the way we keep rock and roll alive. And again, if it wasn't for the timing, I would be even more upset. But somehow in my rock and roll heart, I will find a way to barely possibly forgive the Grammys for ignoring distance and taking the easy, lazy way out again because of Taylor Hawkins, even though I still don't think that was a factor. Let's try to find some other performers, bands, and singers to reward next year when it comes to the three rock categories, shall we? You've got the AMC, you've got, you've got the CMAs. Why can't rock and roll have their own awards? I refuse to believe that nobody would watch or nobody would care. No, you're not going to put them on network TV, but come on. I have complained week after week, month after month, year after year about the fact that the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame keeps letting in non-rock and roll acts. But somehow, while the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame tries to be inclusive, all these major awards are exclusive. 
just like this country, just like the way we are right now when it comes to politics, social issues. We claim we're inclusive. We are not. We have become more exclusionary than ever before in our lifetime. We're hypocrites on many, many fronts. Music, of course, not even remotely close to being the most important of those categories, but baby steps. Let's get some rock and roll awards in there. Not just the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, again, because it's not even the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame anymore. I mentioned the Doobie Brothers. I am supposed to see the Doobie Brothers here coming up in July. (laughs) This will be almost four years. Four years from the fact that that's the time I bought the tickets originally to see this reunion tour with Michael McDonald. Finally, hopefully, without any issues, COVID problems popping up, fingers crossed, I will get to see the Doobie Brothers in July. They have actually taken taken an optimistic step. They have added 11 more tour dates to this rescheduled reunion tour slate. So if they're adding dates... I am extremely hopeful that, yes, finally, after almost four years, after buying tickets, I will get to see the Doobie Brothers with Michael McDonald. Then finally, to wrap up News of the World, here on April the 8th of 2022, I don't want to get political. You might have thought that my little rant a few minutes back was political. It wasn't. But some of you will take it for that. Fine. Do with it what you will. The age of social media. I'm not sure if I'm going to review this song or not in the coming weeks. It's possible. Again, I'm not trying to get political, but because it's music, it's bands that I actually like and care about, I'm going to bring this up real quick to close out segment one. The Van Zandt brothers, Johnny and Donnie, of course, Leonard Skinner and 38 Special, have recorded and released a song called Sweet Florida in support of the re-election campaign of Governor Ron DeSantis. I don't think I should elaborate. I don't think I should editorialize on this. Again, I will listen to the song, decide if it's worthy to even mention in a coming episode of The Fortress. I do not want to get political on this podcast. But at the same time, I realize that music is important. Music does have a purpose. Music does serve causes. 
there are musicians out there. We know who they are. Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. Willie Nelson. Many, many others that, that come to mind. Pearl Jam, Bruce Springsteen, who insert politics into their music, into their concerts. And I have said over and over again, I do not like it. Keep your political views out. But unfortunately, all throughout the decades, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, now into the, the 21st century, music and politics are unfortunately inextricably entwined. But again, I'm not going to go there yet. So I will listen to Sweet Florida. We'll see if the Van Zant brothers put together something that's actually good musically or it's just a conservative rant supporting their governor. I'll let you know here in the coming weeks. So that's it for segment one. News of the World is wrapped up for April the 8th, 2022, exclusively. Spotify, Anchor, Google, Radio Public, Pocket Casts, Breaker, Apple, Overcast, CastBox, and Stitcher. That's where you will find the Fortress of Rock. Coming up, breakdown, reviews. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Fortress of Rock podcast with me, the maestro, Kevin Crane. Of course, that was segment one, the news of the world, our tribute to Freddie Mercury and Queen, where we look back at the past week in rock and roll and all the news and all the controversies that you deserve to know about. Next up is the heart of the show, the meat and potatoes breakdown, where we are going to review all the new songs, all the new albums, all the new concert tours, the shows that I've seen personally. Stay tuned for that. Of course, we're now available on Spotify, Anchor, Apple, Stitcher, CastBox, Google, Pocket Cast, and Radio Public, wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Hang out, kids. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. Thanks, as always, for staying with us, dropping in for the Fortress of Rock. I am the maestro, Kevin Crane. Segment two, breakdown, my favorite segment of the week. This is where I get to talk about new music, new releases, albums, singles, concerts, as I mentioned, Bon Jovi, coming up in a couple weeks. April the 8th, 2022, episode 34. This week, we had a lot to choose from, so the next couple weeks will be full of brand new music to review. Decided to review the brand new Red Hot Chili Peppers this week. I'm holding off on Aldo Nova's The Life and Times of Eddie Gage. As much as I really, really want to discuss that, that will take up an entire, believe me, full 30-minute segment next week on Breakdown here on the Fortress of Rock. 
But this week, you get the Red Hot Chili Peppers Unlimited Love. 17 songs, very long album. It almost seemed like they wanted to do their best to fill out an entire CD. Yes, I know, people don't care about CDs anymore. But if you look at the length of this album, they pushed it to the maximum amount of time they could that would fill in a CD. Is that a good thing or is it a bad thing? I will say it's a bad thing because there is a lot, in my opinion, a lot of filler on Unlimited Love. Now, we've reviewed Black Summer and Poster Child previously here on The Fortress. They were both pretty good. I have my issues with both of them. But, as we always do, and it's going to take a while, so let's get going right now, track by track, here is my review of the Red Hot Chili Peppers' Unlimited Love. Track one, Black Summer. It's hard not to like Black Summer. It is catchy, but in many ways, it's derivative. It sounds like the Red Hot Chili Peppers trying to be the Red Hot Chili Peppers from 15 or 20 years ago. Track two, Here Ever After. Little bit better. It's a nice one-two punch to start the album out, Here Ever After. Again, I don't know if I can say there's much on this album that sounds to me like it's original or different for the Chili Peppers. Everybody out there knows what the Chili Peppers sound like. The problem is, I don't know if they've ever gotten past the sound that they helped to define the the rap, the rap, sorry, the rap, pop, funk, rock sound, that fusion that they're known for. They've never really gotten to a point where they've taken that and made it greater, made it better than they they had back on albums like Stadium Arcadium or Californication. They've been stuck in a rut for a long, long time. And I don't think Unlimited Love proves that they have found a way out of that rut. That's why Black Summer and Here Ever After, as much as I can say I'll take them, I like them, I don't love them. Because, again, they don't seem to be expanding the Red Hot Chili Peppers footprint. Then you get to the awkward terrible third song aquatic mouth dance number one come on with the title this is where it it gets a little ridiculous with this band this is why to me i know they're in the rock hall of fame to me i wouldn't have put him in sorry many other bands as you know that i think are more worthy to go into the rock hall of fame 
And this is the type of idiocy, the aquatic mouth dance that shows to me that they don't deserve to be honored as one of the ultimate rock bands of all time and and getting into the Rock Hall of Fame. But again, we've talked about it and talked about it. I don't want to keep going on about this. The people in charge have different viewpoints on music than I do. But the nonsense here with Aquatic Mouth Dance, it's not an enjoyable song. They try to throw in some bizarre, jazzy horns, some bass. Of course, Flea is awesome. Flea is one of the best bass players of my lifetime. I'm never going to disavow him and what he can do even though I I think that a lot of times they do stupid crap that undermines their greatness when it comes to some, some of the music they put together, you know, putting socks on their junk, for example. Oh, look at us. We're classic rock and roll bad boys. How about you worry about doing something a little bit different with your music Anyway, as you can tell, I'm not a big fan of Aquatic Mouth Dance. The minute track three hits, I'm already halfway out the door. And then song four, one of the featured tracks that they've released here early on before the actual album release, not the one. This is one of those songs that the Chili Peppers lose me on. You you look at Aquatic Mouth Dance and then you compare it to Not The One. I don't like either song, but for different reasons. Aquatic Mouth Dance is the Chili Peppers, as they do so often, overreaching, trying to do too much, trying to be too cool, and failing. And then Not The One, track four, is one of those songs where they act like they're sensitive Oh, and they're in touch with their feminine side, and they're they're such nice guys, and they just want to cuddle on the couch and watch TV with a nice girl. Again, even though these are the guys that love to put socks on their junk. How am I supposed to take a song like Not The One seriously, given the background of these guys? That's something I can't stand. I cannot stand rock and roll hypocrisy. I cannot stand it. And I've gotten into arguments with people about this. I've gotten arguments, gotten into arguments with my own daughter about this. I will take Motley Crue any day. Because you know what? What you hear is what you get. They're not making any false promises of lifelong love and intimacy. They are out to party and have a good time. Just be honest. Just be honest with your music. And sometimes, again, I hate to keep harping on it, the Red Hot Chili Peppers do not seem like an honest band to me. And I know there's been drug addiction problems. 
broken home problems, blah, blah, blah. Sorry. You, you can hate me for saying that, but we've heard it. Some of us who watched the original behind the music on MTV, we've heard all the stories. Rock and roll was a way for us to cope when we had a broken home, abusive mothers, abusive fathers, alcoholic parents. We couldn't relate to the people in high school. You know what? There are some out there who had solid families, nurturing families, encouraging families, and they turned out to be rock gods too. Yes, again, I'm talking about the Van Halens. And they have no shortage of their tales of woe and pity. Believe me, I get it. So we all do. That's the point. We all do. We have all been through the grinder of life. You guys were lucky enough to come out on the rock and roll side of things. Just don't be phonies. And again, I feel like this album upsets me so much because I feel like the Red Hot Chili Peppers are phoning it in and they are phonies. Now we get to track five. Again, another reason for me to rant and rave and get upset with them. Poster Child. Unbelievably catchy song. Here's the thing. A lot of people are comparing it to Billy Joel's We Didn't Start the Fire. Because if you read the lyrics on this, as opposed to Billy Joel's song, where you can actually hear what he's saying and understand it, Anthony Kiedis is doing his mile-a-minute rap rock crap that I can't stand. You don't know what he's saying half the time in Poster Child. I don't like We Didn't Start the Fire, and I'm a huge Billy Joel fan. That's another concert review we've got coming up here in the next couple months on The Fortress. But I think that is one of his weakest hits of all time. In a way, it's lazy, just like Poster Child is. Again, I'll say this for the last time, I swear. especially over the first five songs. Unlimited Love is a lazy, lazy album. It breaks no new ground. Now, here's the thing. If I were producing this album, if I were able to tell Flea and Anthony Kiedis, Chad Smith, John Frusciante what to do with this album in terms of how to set it up, sequencing it, what to what to stay, what to go, what to cut, what to keep. Poster child, I would I would put a line after that one. Again, 17 songs. Because here's the problem. The first five songs seem like, for the most part, they are trying to be the old hit-generating Chili Peppers 
of the last 20 years. When we get through songs 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, I would have thrown them all in the trash bin. I would have said, forget it. There are some decent moments in here. But for the most part, I would have said, get rid of the entire middle part of Unlimited Love. Starting with song six, The Great Apes. I'll pass. Microwave, lukewarm, chili peppers. Again, parts of it nonsensical. And then two straight wussy songs again, like not the one. Seven, it's only natural. Eight, she's a lover. Again, the Red Hot Chili Peppers acting like they are so smooth and they are so in touch with their feminine side. Hypocrites. Hypocrites. You guys shouldn't even come close to trying to pull off songs like this. Under the Bridge was different. Under the Bridge, even though it was a mid-tempo to slow rocker, the background of the song, the lyrics of the song, we got it. We understood where it was coming from. That's why it hit home with many, many people. But again, for you guys to act like you are so smooth, you guys should not even be remotely close to touching material like this. For the third time in eight songs, wussy, wussy, terrible fluff coming from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Then finally, we get to track nine, These Are The Ways where at least if the song still comes off as unfocused, it rocks. So for that point and that point alone, it's a welcome break from all the other cardboard cutout smooth Frank Sinatra wannabe type garbage that has come before it. And when I say Frank Sinatra, I, you know what I mean. I mean, you know, ooh, listen to us. We're smooth. We're crooning. We know what's in the heart of a woman when we're not putting champion athletic socks on our ding-dongs. Then it gets bad again. 10, song 10, What You Thinking, is just, again, generic chili peppers. Song 11, Bastards of Light, is better. Not great, in my opinion, but better. And then we get almost back to the, the stupidity of aquatic mouth dance with track 12, White Braids, and Pillow Chair where it almost seems juvenile. It seems like all they want to do is figure out a way to work the term pussy willow 
into the song over and over again because, oh, that's, oh, that's dirty. Oh, that's so dirty. It's stupid is what it is. Now, this again, my cutoff point. If I was their guru, mentor, rock and roll shaman, I would tell them, all right, now the last five songs, let's take everything from Poster Child back, and then we'll tack these five songs on. That gives us a 10-song album that's actually decent, that's actually reflective of a solid output from this band. Because the best song on the album is track 13, where we start this, this last portion of Unlimited Love that I do like. One-way traffic, this is what I want from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. One-way traffic is a party tune. It's got them playing vibrantly. I can understand what Anthony Kiedis is saying. He's not rapping a thousand words a second. This is what I want from this band. For the most part, this is what I expect from this band is this type of music. Again, I don't want to pigeonhole them. I do want them to try to expand and become better and more creative. But one-way traffic is the song that I wanted to hear variations of in Unlimited Love that I just didn't get enough of. Then we're back down the rabbit hole again. Veronica is not good. Track 14. Track 15, Let Him Cry. Some great, great guitar work from Frusciante. Is, it, it's fantastic. He is tearing up. Let Him Cry. The problem is, again, we go back to Aquatic Mouth Dance. Yes, I know I'm using that as a touchstone. But they try to sneak horns in again. Just because you try to sneak in different types of musical instruments does not make you expansive. You have to know when to use them, how to use them, which ones to use. So in the end, Let Them Cry ultimately is a letdown despite the great guitar work. Uh, then if finally we get to the last two tracks, the album finally find some solid footing. The heavy wing is, again, a little bit unfocused for my taste, but it rocks. This is like a song. I would have kept this on the album, even though I don't feel like it's a finished product. It could have used a little more work, but the heavy wing, just like one-way traffic, is an example of something I would not have been disappointed in. As I was going through whittling down this album to its final pieces, I would have kept the heavy wing. I would have probably taken the band aside and said, work on this for another day or two. Let's see if we can't tighten it up a little bit. The heavy wing is interesting. 
potentially again with a little more work could have been one of the standout tracks on the album then finally a little bit more mellow at the end but this one works for me the closing track is tangelo just like one-way traffic where that's more of the chili peppers party rock and roll type of vibe i'm looking for tangelo is the mellow chili peppers that i like when they can put that side of them out there and do it right you get tangelo a little bit of keyboards a little bit of acoustic work in there like i've said i would have taken the first five songs the last five songs put them together would have had a nice 40 minute album tight cohesive without all the crap in the middle that just stinks to high heaven for the most part. So obviously, 20 minutes in, I cannot recommend Unlimited Love. Doesn't shock me, doesn't surprise me. I've never been the biggest Red Hot Chili Peppers fan in the world, but I will acknowledge they have had two or three fantastic albums I just miss the magic, the blood, blood sugar sex magic that they put together on those albums because I think they lost it a decade, decade and a half ago. All right, two singles to review this week. ZZ Top's Brown Sugar. No, I was wrong. I admit it. As I've said, I can be wrong. It's rare, but... Before I actually listened to it, I assumed it was a cover of the Rolling Stones, Brown Sugar. It is not. It's a blues tune, and it's fantastic. It's coming up on Raw, the upcoming ZZ Top live album. Brown Sugar is everything we loved in old school ZZ Top. And when I say old school, we're going back before Eliminator. We're going back to the late 70s, early 80s ZZ Top. The guys who did LaGrange, Cheap Sunglasses, Tube Snake Boogie, those guys those tres hombres. Brown Sugar's got that nasty desert boogie feel to it that we all loved back then before keyboards and 80s overproduction changed Billy Gibbons, Frank Beard, Dusty Hill forever. So obviously, I like this. I like brown sugar a lot. Makes me pine for the old days. R.I.P. Dusty Hill. Finally, I can't let it go. I cannot let Skid Row go. 
They keep switching lead singers. I believe now they're on their fourth lead singer. They have never been able to reconcile with Sebastian Bach, who I just saw last year in concert, who I love outside of his political views. Sometimes he can kind of be an idiot when it comes to that, but at least he doesn't talk about it in concert. That's my rock and roll star. That's the guy I can admire. That's the guy I want to follow, to listen to, and that's the guy I really want in the end back fronting Skid Row. But, alas and alack, they cannot figure out their differences, so we've got another new lead singer fronting Skid Row. First single from the upcoming album, The Gang's All Here. I love it. I love the song, but here's the catch. Here's the caveat. I listen to this song, and it's like so many other bands from the 80s who've lost their lead singers over disagreements, death, unfortunately, in some cases. They try to fill in the gap with somebody who is a carbon copy of the guy they lost. So as I listen to the gangs all here, and again, it's a great tune. It's a rocking tune. Problem is, it's just a little too close to sounding like Sebastian Bach, where all I'm thinking is, man, Sebastian would have torn the roof off of this thing. This would have been an unbelievable classic 2022 return for the original Skid Row. If only they could figure out their differences and get back together. But they haven't, so it's just not quite the same. Again, I'll take it. But in the end, it's not Skid Row. All right, kids, breakdown is over. Wrapping up segment two here on the Fortress of Rock. I feel like I should apologize to the Red Hot Chili Peppers for ripping into them for 20 minutes in their new album. Um, and it's not as terrible. I think I, I painted a bleaker picture of it than I should have. It's not the worst album I've ever heard in my life. It's just, again, disappointing given the talent involved and their reputation. You be the judge. Feel free to drop me a line on the Fortress of Rock. Check out our Facebook page. Leave me a comment there. Segment three, I want to go back. Coming up, our weekly look at moments in rock history, birthdays, anniversaries, untimely deaths. Hang out with me for a little bit more, won't you? On the Maestro, we'll be right back. All right, now that we've looked at the current state of music in our breakdown segment, it is time to climb into the DeLorean and travel back in time to look back at moments in rock and roll history, birthdays, deaths, 
anniversaries of song and album releases. It is time for I Want to Go Back, our tribute to Eddie Money. Stay tuned. And as always, we're on Spotify, Anchor, Apple, Stitcher, CastBox, Google, Pocket Cast, and Radio Public, anywhere where you listen to your favorite podcasts. Welcome back to the Fortress of Rock. I am the maestro, Kevin Crane. April the 8th, 2022, episode 34. As we do every week, time to look back at the history of rock and roll. And this is also the time every week where I acknowledge my sources. Three of them in particular, the Van Halen News Desk, of course. thisdayinmusic.com and my favorite, ultimateclassicrock.com Story ideas come from them at times, but as always, the opinions are mine and mine alone. All right, let's start off with the birthdays this week. April the 8th. Going back to 1947, Steve Howe of Yes and Asia. Happy birthday, turned 75 years old today, of course. He is currently in an incarnation of Yes. I won't say it is Yes per se. Again, another one of these bands that's fractured over the years. Members have died, members have moved on, different versions of the same band, which I can't stand. You could say that with both Yes and Asia. I don't have a lot to say about Yes. Um, I was never a prog rock guy. Never into Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. I... I got into Rush when they became more accessible with moving pictures. I know it's probably blasphemy for the diehard Rush fans out there, but before moving pictures, I really wasn't a Rush guy. And then they finally cut down on the song lengths, tightened up their song structures. And that's when I became a Rush fan. You could say the same thing with Yes. Um, now, I did grow up in the era of AOR rock, so long distance, run around, roundabout, I heard on the radio. Um, I liked them. Weren't my favorites, but I did like them. I've seen all good people. And then, of course, when they hit it big, 90125, owner of a lonely heart, leave it, um, big generator, all the, the albums that came after that before they, they finally fractured. There was a price to pay in the 80s. Ask bands like Heart, yes, obviously. Um, when you sold out 
too much. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. Again, I am saying that for me, it made the bands more accessible. Now, not Heart. I like the original Heart. I was more into the classic 70s, early 80s version of Heart than I was the let's try to look like Poison version of Heart. Of course, I don't think they're giving that money back that they made. Same thing with Yes and 90125. They're not giving that money back. But I think in a, in a case of a band like Yes, it worked. The experiment, the chance, the gamble worked. Now, I personally, I would rather focus on Asia when it comes to Steve Howe. And they'd already fractured at this point in time. Yes, it already started splitting up. They had brought Trevor Rabin, and he was the one who, who got them focused on more of a an accessible pop rock sound, where Steve Howe had moved on to Asia. I loved Asia. I just loved Asia. I loved the whole super group idea. Parents get divorced. People split up. Boyfriend, girlfriend. Families fracture. So in the 80s, it only made sense when it became more commonplace to have stepbrothers, stepsisters stepfathers, stepmothers, I've left this band. Why not get together with somebody else from another band and create a super group? And Asia was one of the best examples of how it could work when you did that. Of course, John Wetton, Carl Palmer, Steve Howe, Jeff Downs. The first Asia album is one of the greatest 80s albums that nobody remembers. Yeah, everybody knows Heat of the Moment, but I'm telling you that first Asia album is underrated beyond belief. And we're going to talk about another underrated 80s album here in just a minute. But Asia, the first album, is so good. Wildest Dreams. Unbelievable. Just get on Spotify, listen to the first Asia album again. Tell me if you don't agree with me. If you don't, drop me a line. But if you do, drop me a line and give me praise as well. <laughs> Check out the Facebook page. Put a comment on there. Second album wasn't quite as good, and it kind of went downhill from there, but they did hang on, and Asia put out a lot of good music over the next couple decades. Now, of course, uh, another bizarre concert tale we've been talking here ad nauseum about COVID. 
delaying concerts, canceling concerts, heart issues, pneumonia, this and that. When I was supposed to see Asia for the first time, now this is, of course, not during their classic run in the 80s. This is about six years ago. They were opening for Journey. And again, Journey is not the journey that I grew up with. It's not Greg Rowley. It's not Steve Perry. It's Arnel Pineda. But Asia was supposed to open for Journey. And John Wetton passed away literally weeks before the show. And they were able to bring in somebody else to fill in without canceling the shows. It was not even close to being the same. It was disappointing. It was a train wreck of a night. We didn't even get there in time because the traffic flow to the venue was abysmal. So technically, can I say I've seen Asia? Yes. But at that point in time, I believe it was only Carl Palmer and Jeff Downs of the original Asia lineup. So in the end, happy birthday to Steve Howe. Izzy Stradlin, of course, from Guns N' Roses. 60 years old today, April the 8th. I'll save my GNR rant for another time, maybe when it's Axel's birthday or Slash's birthday. Izzy, of course, has not been with the band in a long, long time, so... The only thing I can I can put out there about GNR right now, since I've got another story coming up with another band that I kind of linked with GNR forever in rock history, is that while they're trailblazers, they're groundbreaking, you could say they were the last great pure rock and roll band before grunge came in. The bridge between hair metal and grunge and all the other crap that came afterwards. I just don't know if they've really ever had enough original output for me to look at them as one of the greatest rock and roll bands of all time. I think you need more than In my eyes, three albums. I don't count Chinese Democracy. That's not Guns N' Roses to me. Sorry, that's basically an Axl Rose solo album. All I count is, of course, the classic Appetite for Destruction, which, yes, is one of the greatest albums of all time. And then Use Your Illusion 1 and 2, which are no slouches by any means. But is that enough? Because that's it. Is that enough? Maybe, hopefully, we get new music from GNR this year. And I'm not talking about absurd or hard school. These little one-offs that they're putting out there. Kind of like what Van Halen did at the end of their career. Where they're taking old studio 
rejects and reworking them. And again, I don't have a problem with it. Didn't have a problem with it with Van Halen. Don't have a problem with GNR doing it. I'm not that kind of an uptight jerk where a great, a truly great rock and roll band, the stuff they throw on the floor and reject the first time around is probably better than 90% of the stuff that a lot of bands out there right now are putting out and saying, this is the top level stuff we've got. This is the best output, the best of the best. Just would like to hear Slash, Axel, Duff, give it one more go. Try to put together one more album. Take hard school, take, take absurd, find some other stuff you left on the cutting room floor, maybe throw a couple new compositions in and see what you come up with. Finally, we talked about Cynthia Lennon here recently. I'm not going to go on my Yoko Ono rant, but... I do wonder what happened to Julian Lennon. Julian Lennon's birthday is April the 8th. He would be 59 years old. He is born in 1963. Of course, um, had a couple albums that, that hit big. I thought musically he was pretty good. The lot was an interesting song. Too Late for Goodbyes was a great song. And I don't know. I, I'm not that kind of a sycophant of the Beatles or that whole extended family where I needed to find out why Julian Lennon faded off into the sunset and why he's not really involved in music anymore or at least in the public eye anymore. You could say the same thing about Sean Lennon, of course. Julian, of course, was John's son with Cynthia Lennon. That's why I brought her up versus Sean Lennon was John's son with Yoko. And again, it's got to be unbelievably hard to try to carry on that tradition, to carry on a legendary rock star's legacy. That seems to be a theme we've had this this week here on The Fortress, talking about Wolfgang Van Halen and talking about Deacon Fry and now talking about Julian and Sean Lennon. It's got to be unbelievably difficult. It's got to be. I hope Julian Lennon, wherever he is, whatever he's doing, he's happy, he's healthy, and he's doing all right. Because I always did kind of like him. Anniversaries in rock and roll history. We mentioned. Guns N' Roses earlier. Talking about Izzy Stradlin's birthday. Now we go to the other side of the coin. We look at death. We look at uh, today, April the 8th in 1994 was the day that Kurt Cobain's body was found 
the police, the coroners actually placed his time of death on April the 5th from a self-inflicted gunshot wound at the age of 27. But today, unfortunately, is that day in rock history where I believe it was an electrician found the body of Kurt Cobain of Nirvana. And I have never claimed to be a great Nirvana fan. I will never claim to be a great Nirvana fan. Um, if you wanted me to list my top 75 bands of all time, Nirvana would not make it. Sorry, just they would. I've never been overly impressed with their music. I am not trying to be morbid. I've said this in the past to my friends. I can't remember if I've said it on the podcast before, but the fact that we got the Foo Fighters out of the tragedy of Kurt Cobain's suicide, musically at least, I think we're better off. I'm sorry, but I think we were. I don't think Nirvana would have sustained what they were doing. I think inevitably it was going to come to some kind of a bad ending, whether it was like this, the worst of all possible endings, or just a bad breakup. But going back to the GNR comparison, as I mentioned, Technically, three albums. For GNR. Three great albums. But to me, I don't know, does that make you one of the greatest bands of all time? Now, for GNR, to me, I give them more credit than I do to Nirvana. Number one, because I like the music more. I simply like the music more. I can't remember the last time I listened to Nevermind. Where as much as a lot of it's overplayed, Use Your Illusion 1 and 2 maybe was overblown. Appetite for Destruction is one of those albums you see it and you go, oh man, there's a couple songs on that album I, would, I wouldn't mind listening to right now. Mr. Brownstone. Oh. Rocket Queen. It, you cannot deny the greatness of Appetite for Destruction. And I personally love Use Your Illusion 1 and 2. With Nirvana, I can't. I can't muster up that excitement. I can't bring up that, that level of of rock and roll giddiness that I can with Guns N' Roses. So that's why I will give Guns N' Roses a pass, if you want to call it that, whereas I can't with Nirvana. My favorite Nirvana song has always been Heart Shaped Box, always will be. To me, that was the distillation of what Nirvana should have been. But too many times they were too quirky, too flaky, trying too hard to be too controversial, too edgy. And to me, unlike what other people think of the band, 
I thought they were trying a little bit too hard. It didn't come across to me as completely genuine. That being said, thoughts, prayers, condolences for Kurt Cobain. Two album releases to discuss here. Real quick, in 1975, on this day, April the 8th, Toys in the Attic by Aerosmith was released. That was just before I started to get into music. A couple years before, I, re- I was 10 years old when Toys in the Attic came out. Just a couple years before I really started getting into music. So I cannot give Aerosmith's third album the praise it deserves. Maybe later on at some other point, if Aerosmith calls it quits, We'll look back at their entire catalog and do a breakdown, but let's just say Awesome Day, Toys in the Attic, was released back in 1975. Now, this one I want to talk a couple minutes about. This is where I will have issues with many of you out there, especially coming off me not praising Nirvana like I'm supposedly required to. One of the most underrated albums of the 1980s, along with Asia, which I talked about earlier, is Toto's 4. Toto's album 4 came out on April the 8th, 1982. It's not the greatest album of all time. It's not perfect by any means, but I'm telling you, it is so undervalued. Yes, it's got Africa. Yes, it's got Rosanna. But there are other songs on that album that are fantastic, including one of my favorite songs of all time, which I hear occasionally on satellite radio back in the 80s, did get played on AOR radio before that went the way of the dinosaur. Afraid of Love. If you have never heard Toto's Afraid of Love, you've got to listen to it. It rocks. It is tight. It is fantastic. Another great song off Toto 4 is Make Believe. Now it's a little more poppy. There's horns involved. But I think it's an absolutely solid, great song for the 80s. Great rock song for the 80s. Those two songs, Afraid of Love and Make Believe, to me, are better than Rosanna. And I like Rosanna a lot. Now, Africa is something else altogether. Africa is one of those transcendent songs that I don't care who you are, if you're a metalhead, If you're a lounge lizard, if you like classical music, if you like soul, rap, Africa is one of the few songs that it crosses all boundaries. People love Africa. That song is so catchy, so well done. Of course, Weezer, well known for their remake of it. 
Africa is just one of the greatest songs ever made. Yes, I know I said it. It's out there. It's a bold proclamation. Africa is an unbelievable song. And the fact that it was released in the early 80s was a number one hit and to this day still has an impact on our culture should tell you all you need to know. Check out Toto 4. Get on Spotify now. Great, great album. Finally, last minute addition to the I Want to Go Back segment, of course, our tribute to Eddie Money, the late, great Eddie Money. April the 8th, 2000. Saturday Night Live aired a sketch that is now considered by many, if not the greatest, one of the 10 greatest sketches ever in the grand and glorious history of Saturday Night Live. Well, up until about 10 years ago when all they decided to do was go political and stop being funny. Why do I bring this up on the Fortress? Because it's tied into rock and roll. This, yes, is the Christopher Walken, Will Ferrell, Blue Oyster Cult cowbell sketch. Where we get an inside look at the recording sessions, supposedly, of Don't Fear the Reaper. With, of course, Will Ferrell with a shirt about three sizes too small, banging on a cowbell. We see Jimmy Fallon who can't keep a straight face through the entire skit as the drummer. Chris Kattan is in there. Horatio Sands is in there. It is, if it's not the best ever, it's got to be close. It is comedy gold. And the fact that they're throwing rock history in to the mix with it, This was the sketch where I realized Will Ferrell was a comedic genius. Like all other comedians, great comedians, most of them coming from the first 25 years of SNL, Eddie Murphy, Bill Murray. You've got ebbs and flows in the career. Will Ferrell really hasn't done anything, in my opinion, all that great in probably 10 to 15 years. But back when he was on fire with Elf, old school sketches like this, the cheerleaders, I mean, that's when, that to me, that's when we lost something, when when that SNL went away, when that run on Saturday Night Live went away. We lost something as a culture. Because I remember growing up again, SNL started right around the time I became aware of rock and roll and pop culture. And Saturday Night Live was, to me, the be-all, end-all. And my mom luckily loved 
Saturday Night Live, and she was not a restrictive parent per se. She would let me watch Saturday Night Live when I was 12, 13 years old with her. So I got to see some of the great early performances on SNL. Paul Simon and Elvis Costello. And you got to see, of course, the great comedians in the first cast. John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd and Chevy Chase and all the greatness that came from them when it came to movies, Ghostbusters and Caddyshack, Fletch, Animal House. And it's just such a sad, sad state of affairs for what SNL has become now. They get more press coverage than they ever did when the show was actually good and now it's a piece of garbage it hasn't been funny in like i said over a decade at least if not 15 years and will ferrell and this cowbell sketch makes me remember the last vestiges of when we could tune in at 11.30 Eastern Time to watch Hit and Miss Trainwreck Comedy that when it was good, it was the best ever. And I miss those days so much. The melding of comedy, rock and roll that SNL did throughout the late 70s through the 80s into the 90s early 2000s was just the best ever in pop culture and i miss it so much it's a shame it's a reflection on our society now that it's turned into something completely and totally different i want more cowbell the great christopher walken of course as Bruce Dickinson. <laughs> All right, kids, we're going to, as we always do, wrap things up in the last segment. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Well, we hope you enjoyed our trip back in time, looking back at the anniversaries, the classic moments in rock and roll history. But of course, the DeLorean works both ways. So now we have to move forward. The last segment here, as always, on the Fortress of Rock with me, the maestro Kevin Crane. Spotify, Anchor, Apple, Stitcher, CastBox, Google, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. It's all about the future. What's coming out here in the next month or two? What songs? What albums? What concert tours? That's why we call it Wrap It Up. Thanks to the fabulous Thunderbirds. Thanks to you for hanging out. Here comes our final segment. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Time to wrap things up here on the Fortress of Rock. Episode 34, April the 8th, 2022. Of course, Wrap It Up is our tribute to the awesome song from the fabulous Thunderbirds. We have got a lot 
to review here in the coming weeks, especially when it comes to albums. Next week will be the long-awaited review of Aldo Nova's return. The Life and Times of Eddie Gage, his rock opera, 10 songs. Is it a preview? Is this all we're going to get? Still pretty cool. 10 songs. I will break it down completely for you next week here on the Fortress of Rock. In two weeks, I'll have my review of the first of two Jack White albums coming out in 2022, Fear of the Dawn. Everything I've heard so far sounds incredible. It sounds like we're getting back to the old Jack White from White Stripes fame. The guitar god, the guitar demon. Along with the Jack White album review in two weeks, I will review Bon Jovi in concert from Indianapolis, Indiana. A new Black Mood song just hit today. We'll have a review of that for you next week. Hollywood, the third release from their upcoming album. Black Mood's, of course, one of those bands you might not know. I've seen them in concert, fell in love with them. They are fantastic. To me, they are one of the bands that heralds the future of rock and roll in Hollywood. I've listened to it once or twice. Fantastic stuff. Great, great stuff. Check out this trio on Spotify if you haven't already. The other three songs I've got on the slate, I'm not making promises. I might review these songs. I might not. I don't know. Depends on what kind of mood I'm in. I've already mentioned in News of the World, the political song, Sweet Florida from the Van Zant brothers, Johnny and Donnie. Again, I, I'm not trying to make the Fortress of Rock anything close to a political platform, so I don't know if I want to review the song. I'll listen to it. If it's too political, I'm going to pass. I'll see. Let's put it that way. I'll see. If I want to give you guys my insight on it, I will here in a, in a week or two. We'll see. Mick Jagger has done a solo song called Strange Game. It's the title song for an upcoming TV show starring Gary Oldman. Um... I don't think the, the show is called Strange Game, but Strange Game is the theme for this show. So we'll probably give that a whisk. Uh, I wanted to say listen or whirl. So I came up with listen. <laughs> I've created a new rock and roll word. Um, we'll give it a whirl. We'll give it a listen. We'll give it a spin here over the next week or two, and we'll let you know what we think of Mick Jagger's Strange Game. 
Then finally, of course, I know a lot of people out there love Pink Floyd. I know their place in rock history. I know a lot of people do not like the current incarnation without Roger Waters. I don't like either incarnation, to be honest with you. I didn't like them when Roger Waters was in the band. I don't know if I really like them now with David Gilmore being the front man. But they've put together a song in support of Ukraine called Hey, Hey, Rise Up. Again, I'll listen to it if it's worthy. I'll review it here in the next week or two on The Fortress. So there you go. That is The Fortress of Rock for April the 8th, 2022. Supposed to be getting snow tonight. Still. (laughs) In the United States in April. And we're not talking Alaska. Jeez, it's just ridiculous. I'm not going political. I'm not going to talk about climate change. But as long as I still get snow in April where I live, I'm not going to freak out about global warming. Okay? Next week... Weather gets into the 70s, hopefully, as temperatures rise, moods get better, more concerts, more outdoor activities. The summertime vibe, hopefully, just around the corner here on the Fortress of Rock. So stay tuned in the coming weeks for that. I'm the maestro. Have a great weekend. We'll check you out next Friday, April the 15th. Take care, everybody.